You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, switch over here. I heard him mention, but he just said something about, well, you know, the thing about fishing is it's not a very, uh, I, I'll have to paraphrase what he said, but basically, it's not like real exciting generally. You know, fishing normally, you're. It's, uh, it takes patience, you know, it's, and, uh, and I heard him say that, and it just got my mind to moving, and I thought to myself, the, the, the thought, and I'll probably actually maybe preach a message on it later, but why I hate fishing, uh, I don't like to fish. Um, I like to catch fish, but if I'm not catching fish, I don't like what's in between catching fish. Uh, I mean, let me cast, let me catch, and I mean, you know, if I'm on a boat, that might be a different thing because at least I'm on a boat or something. But as a general rule, uh, uh, done a lot of bank fishing. But, but I started thinking about a couple reasons, okay, de- as far as a devotion or message could go. You know, one of the first reasons I think I hate fishing, uh, and I'm thinking about Jesus saying we ought to be fishers of men. I think one of the very first reasons that I hate fishing is that I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And uh, I, I, learned a, I learned a really important thing in Bible college. It's a, 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 to me, it's profound. Uh, but it says that inspiration without education produces frustration. Inspiration without education produces frustration. Uh, and I apologize because I've often encouraged people's inspiration around here uh, without maybe helping them be educated on what, uh, you know, helping them get to where they want to be, and maybe it's producing frustration. But when it comes to fishing, honestly, my, one of my biggest problems is if I'm fishing and I'm not catching something, I start thinking to myself, am I doing something wrong? Is this the wrong bait? Uh, do I even have the right thing on here? Uh, how many people out there are fishermen? How many of you are fish, okay? I saw Lydia making bad faces at me when I said I didn't like fishing. She was judging me so hard. Y'all pray for her. Uh, but, uh, but no, but really, I was thinking about it, and I, I'll tell you a couple different things. For one thing, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you how dumb I am, okay? This is how uneducated I am. Right? And I understand in the day of YouTube, it's not that hard to get educated if you want to or whatever. Uh, but uh, I was really wanting to catch some, uh, what was I fishing for, bass or uh, crappie or whatever? And so I had, you know, the little yellow pellets that you, you, you catch crappie with those bass? I can't remember anyway. Uh, uh, so I'm out up by Vermilion in the muddy Missouri River flowing like crazy, fishing with trying to fish for bass and uh, stuff. That ain't where you fish for bass, am I wrong? Uh, had the wrong bait, I'm trying to fish for the wrong fish. That's it. People are out there catching cat. Where I was at, people are out there, I found out, catching catfish and carp, mostly. Uh, that's not the best place to try to go bass fishing. Or, uh, and, and you got to forgive me, I grew up calling them crappy. Crappy, okay, so to say crappie feels like I'm, uh, it's like when y'all try to say y'all, you know. Uh, so crappie, um, so okay, there's one, all right, so just an example. What's happening? I'm out there. That's frustrating. I'm not catching any bass. I'm not catching any catfish. I'm not catching anything because uh, I'm uh, using the wrong bait in the wrong place fishing for the wrong fish. Um, I, there's another time, I'll tell you quick, I was uh, using a jig. Uh, man, I don't know what I would, man, I think we were fishing for walleye or something. Uh, I don't know, usually I'm going with somebody else, but uh, fishing for walleye and uh, had a jig and uh, reeled, uh, I reeled my jig in and I was fishing with a buddy of mine, a preacher friend of mine. And he says, oh, he said, oh, no, he said, it looks like your jig's uh, hung up there. Uh, and uh, I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, let me see. And he, he got a hold of my jig and then if you don't know, there was enough hands that went up, okay, to where I can tell this story, I think. Uh, uh, he just started laughing, and I said, uh, <laughs> and he was laughing so hard he couldn't tell me what he was laughing at, uh, this is Brother Earwood, and, uh, and if you've ever fished with one of these jigs, they have a little uh, a place where you run the string through, but when they paint them, they dip it in the paint, and a lot of times the little hole where you put the string through gets covered up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, so I'm trying to find a place to put the string through. Guess what? There ain't no hole. So I just take the, the fishing line and tie it around the jig's neck. See what, see what Jack's doing? They're both judging me now. That's bad. Y'all pray for that crowd, amen? Uh, but, uh, 
And, and he was just laughing and laughing, and he said, there's going to be a hanging, you know. <laughs> he said, brother, he said, and then he explained to me, you got to poke that pain out. What I'm saying is, uh, a lot of times we get frustrated when it comes to fishing. One of the reasons I hate fishing is, if I'm not catching fish, I usually assume, and now you can understand why I would assume this, that I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> and, uh, but it's the same way when it comes to soul winning, is it not? And being fishers of men. I think a lot of times people are frustrated. People don't know if they're doing it right. They don't know if they're using the right bait. Uh, and I know that the gospel is the bait, so to speak, but that's not really all there is, is it? Because we, you, you, oftentimes you're trying to find opportunities, uh, a, a door to open up, you know, to, to kind of find how can I begin talking to this person. So in other words, maybe it's a conversation that starts by talking about science. Maybe it's a conversation that starts, you still laughing at me, Jack? Uh, maybe it's a conversation that starts by talking about family or something like that. So, uh, but it's just getting educated on, okay, how can I be a better fish? So one of the reasons I hate it is because I, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, another reason I hate it, as I've already mentioned, uh, is because on top of that, again, I think if I knew, knew what I was doing, this would help me in this part. But on top of that, it's uh, tedious, probably isn't the right word, but, uh, but what's, what's a good word for that? I mean, it's time-consuming, uh, it's... It's, it's, it, it's taken, it, it's dragging. I remember one time we, uh, one of the, my favorite times ever fishing, I've had a couple, uh, but we were fishing for white bass. And they were spawning out on, on the Missouri, well, is it like kind of a, a backwater place of the Missouri when I lived in Pierre? And if you could hit, if you could get your line, if you could get your hook out to where the fish were spawning, I mean, your, fi your hook hits the water, bam, you're reeling in a white bass. I mean, it was just fun. Uh, it's just time after time, uh, and I knew what to do. I just knew I had to get out there where you could just see the water teeming, and you would just reel in a white bash, bass. It was awesome, but most of the time it's not that way, and that's the way it is with soul winning. A lot of times we might get on fire for soul winning. We're like, I'm going to try to win somebody to Jesus, and all of a sudden we go out and, well, this stinks. Nobody's getting saved. I guess I'm done with this, uh, and then maybe on top of it, you're thinking, I might not just be doing this right. Um, there may be more reasons, but just on the way to church, I was thinking of some reasons I hate fishing. Um, and I know that sounds awful, but I just thought of it being some of the same ways that we can be frustrated when it comes to witnessing and soul winning and so forth. Uh, one more thing, and then I'll uh, signal for Ryan to go to YouTube. Uh, man, I'm really excited about a couple of these connection cards that I ordered. Uh, they could be kind of in the place of a gospel track, but... Um, uh, I have one that's uh, kind of a year-round year round one, need a fresh start, find one at Elk Point Baptist Church. It's got our service times. It's got just a, a brief presentation of the gospel on the back. Uh, so we got those back there. Uh, then I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we got this one just in the nick of time. This is an Easter one, an Easter connection card, and I think I got 500 of each of these. Uh, you want to you know something I'm proud of myself about, though? I didn't have them put a date on here. Because I thought people would know when Easter was, right? But I thought if I put a date, you say, well, I'm not to put a date on it. But I got 500 of them. And not that I ain't got confidence in people or anything, but I just ain't sure 500 of these are going to get passed out in the next 30-something days. So guess what? We can use them again next year. Isn't that good? Uh, anyway, but, uh, but, but uh, yeah, celebrate Easter uh, at Elk Point Baptist Church. And then the same thing. It has some, uh, it's got a picture of me and Melanie on there. Uh, it's got a little message, service times, and the gospel message. And th those are back on the back table. Uh, Ralph just took a whole stack. Guess what? Uh, and maybe, Ron, if you don't mind, keep an eye on this. I got the box right, right by where you are underneath that table. Just make sure throughout the day that we have plenty of those out there, if you wouldn't mind, please, sir. Um, but, yeah, get these out. Celebrate Easter at Elk Point Baptist Church. The choir is working on a beautiful cantata. I get to hear it every Sunday when I come in. It's always, uh, always a blessing. So, we got those. All right. Now, we will... Is this better with it on? Okay. All right. Uh, funny how that works. 
but from conquerors to captives. Because what I want to do is I want to get a, give a big overview. I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Nehemiah today. Uh, and I just wonder, uh, I'm just curious in the, the thought of, you know, just picking up today preaching in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, if you've, you know, many people, maybe, maybe, I know there's a lot of people that read through their Bibles maybe for the first time last year, the year before that, but if you start trying to read in the Old Testament, there's some things that can sometimes get a little, a little confusing. Um, there's quite a few things, but I, today I want to try to give an overview of a, of a big portion of the Old Testament, starting with Solomon and going all the way uh, really to Nehemiah and possibly all the way through Micah. So pretty much if you think about it being from 1 Kings uh, all the way, uh, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel all the way through to Malachi, I'm going to try to give a big overview of that. And, and I'm going to be asking questions because I want you to be thinking. Um, all right, so we're going to start with this. Uh, David, of course, being the very first king of Israel, we know that... Uh, by the way, it's interesting, I, this would have been a good verse to start with, but I'm looking and sometimes I don't get all of my stuff put together on the same uh, paper, but when Israel said they wanted a king, God, what did God tell them about that, by the way, when they said they wanted a king? Yeah, he's like, hey, I, I, I'm your king. He's like, but if you really want one, uh, I'll give you one, um, and but he did say, he warned, he's like, but I'm telling you, when you get a king, you're going to, the way kings work, you know, how, you know the, the old saying that, uh, what is it, that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely or something to that effect, when you get a king, he's going to take your lands, he's going to take your daughters and your sons and enslave them, he's going to take stuff from you, he's going to end up being a big shot that thinks everything belongs to him. Now, that does not describe King David at all. Uh, but I'm telling you, by the time you get to Solomon, you actually start immediately seeing some things that weren't great in the way Solomon ruled. Besides the fact that he had, you know, a bunch of wives, and many of them heathen wives, uh, on top of that. But the point is, that, 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 that deal, though, reminded me a little bit of when I was in school, and, uh, and I was, uh, I was, it was getting toward the end of the year, and it was algebra. And I, and I think I talked about this not too long ago, but I, I'm really ashamed of the way I behaved in school, uh, the, my, the effort that I put forth in school. I really think that if you had to press me on it, I don't think I did. I think in the middle of fifth grade, I determined that I was done with homework. And I'm not even kidding. I determined and I stuck with it. You don't think I can stick with something. I stuck with it. I'm not doing homework. All the way until I got to Bible college, and then that's when, I, you know, something matched. You know, the Lord mattered to me. The Word of God mattered to me. started affecting my heart in these things. Um, so basically, long story short, I didn't put forth much effort in school. During school hours, that's fine. But, hey, my time after school is my time. I've got things to do, I've got games to play, I've got people to hang out with, and the, and the older I got, I've got partying to do, whatever the case may have been, but I wasn't interested, uh, and so I, I didn't really put forth much effort in school, I didn't put, and, but I still passed, I still actually graduated with a decent, uh, decent grade point average and so forth somehow, but this particular year didn't help out too much because I failed algebra, and, and it wasn't for just that I didn't know, it's just that I didn't put forth any effort. Uh, and when it came to homework, in the back of our book, if for some reason it would give you the answer to every other question of your homework. So I would go, and I got all those right. During school, I would write that down. Bud's laughing. Uh, but, and then I would just maybe write down some random stuff. That was terrible, man. I, I was one of the people that heard that most, most A, B, C, D multiple choice answers are C, so I usually just pick C on those. I mean, it's just terrible. Um, yeah, it's terrible. I, I'm ashamed to admit it because I, I don't know if y'all could think any less of me when it comes to this stuff, but that's how bad of a kid I was when it came to this. But the thing with David, or the thing with Israel and a king and God, it reminds me of, a, of one of those moments in my life to where my, my, my teacher, Miss Ball, uh, she, was really, she really was a good teacher. And at the end of the year, she said, Jesse, she said, you failed algebra. 
She said, but I know that I know that if you put forth a little bit of effort, I know that you could, you know, do very well in this class. I believe in, you know, she's doing all this great teacher stuff. And she's just like, so Jesse, she said, uh, I really want you to come back next year and take Algebra 1 again. And uh, she's like, I just, I, I, I just, you know, I believe in you. You can do this. And she said, but if you really wanted, I could also just put you in general math next year. Because really, all you need is a tax credit. But, you know, she, she, I could tell it was just like, do you want to go upstairs in the general math class? Uh, or stay down here, you know, and, 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 and I'm just like, yep, general math will be good, <laughs> you know, and I could still just see the disappointment on her face. Tyler, don't judge me, buddy. I'm glad Tyler's not like that, uh, but that's how it was, and, uh, and, and I could, can't you just know the disappointment with God when he says, well, I understand that you guys want a king, but hey, you've got a king already, but if you really want one, I'll give you an earthly king. And, uh, and then Israel says, yeah, we want one. We don't want God. We want you. And I can just imagine God being like, really? Uh, man, I'm your God. But, the, the, but, but a couple of things that happened during that time. Okay, so David dies. Solomon becomes the king. Solomon dies. Now, can anybody tell me what happened when Solomon died as far as the kingdom? And this is... This is kind of a big dividing point. Before, let me back up just a second here. What was the nation known as when David and Solomon were the kings? Somebody said it. Israel. It was just the nation of Israel. How many tribes? Twelve tribes. One nation. One place to worship. Uh, everything. God had this thing together. The children of Israel were together under David and under Solomon. Uh, but then under Solomon, he died, and then again, that's where I was at before. What happened once Solomon died? They split because because who became, who was, does anybody know the name of Solomon's son? Uh, Rehoboam. Now, now I'm confused, Kurt. Rehoboam. Am I right? Uh, anyway, they got it right here. Rehoboam became uh, king. But if you remember, there was this whole exchange to where, and again, I'm giving you Bible here. I'm just not giving you references, and I may be misquoting some here. But do you remember when the, the, uh, the people came, the, some of the tribes came to uh, Rehoboam, and they're like, uh, man, it's going to drive me crazy. Somebody needs to figure let me see. Let me check my notes if I'm Rehoboam or Jeroboam here. I can't believe I didn't put this in here. Uh, yeah, that was in my other notes too. Lord, help me. This is embarrassing. But anyway. Uh, they came to the king, thanks, Kurt, and they said, hey, so Solomon was kind of being pretty tough on us, and we hoped that you would just be a little, just consider being a little lighter on us. And the old advisors said, you know what, that's a good idea. Let them know that you'll, that you'll be a little bit more generous, you'll be a little bit more patient, whatever. Uh, and then... Uh, and then he asked his younger buddies, he says, well, what do y'all think? He's like, man, you need to tell him if, if they thought that, uh, that Solomon was tough, we're going to be tougher. Uh, I mean, you, you thought Solomon was strong. You thought his loins were strong. You thought, man, we're not just coming with regular mouth. We're coming with iron. I'm going to make it tough on you. So that's, uh, thank you, sir. That's Rehoboam. And then uh, there, was a, there was a leader uh, he was the leader over uh, much of the, the country. He had a lot of clout, and his name was Jeroboam, all right? And so, but the people liked Jeroboam pretty well. He was very well known. And so the people come to Jeroboam, it's like, man, would you consider being the king instead of Rehoboam? So Jeroboam says, sure, I'll be the king. Long story short, there was a great division, and the kingdom now divides. So now, instead of being known as the nation of Israel, they're divided. Now, does anybody know the ratio of the division between the 12 tribes? Ten and two. Ten went to the northern kingdom, and they began to be called Israel. All right, so they kept the name that they had had before, Nathan, Israel, which means prince, right? Yeah. Uh, so then the southern kingdom, so which, anybody know the two that stayed in the southern kingdom? 
Judah. I want to say, I want to say Benjamin. Is it Ephraim? Ephraim, I think. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be asking questions. You know, a smart person doesn't ask questions to the things they don't know the answers to. I'll tell you that right now in a situation like this. Uh, but uh, the, 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 but <laughs> I thought it was Judah and Benjamin. Um, but, uh, yeah, help me out here, Melanie, in a second or Kurt. But uh, Ju- Judah and Benjamin, they stayed in the south. And so now you've got the kingdom divided. And therefore, the kingdom was the, 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 the northern ten were called Israel. The southern two were called Judah. All right. So now, that, that's why, and I, and I say that because that's important. When you start reading through the Old Testament, God's talking about Israel. How I'm going to judge Israel. So from that point on, Israel does not refer to the entire nation anymore. And this is the important point, okay? That, that's all important. But the point, studying through the Old Testament, you need to understand from this point on, when you're in the prophets, uh, when you're hearing prophecies about how God's going to judge Israel, he's not talking about the entire country anymore. He's talking about the ten northern tribes. And then he'll mention Judah, and then he's talking about the two southern tribes. So this division um, between the two, okay? And, and, and I got more information on where I'm trying to get with this. But So there's this division between the northern now. Which between the two tribes, the division, stays true to Jehovah initially? That's right, Judah does. Israel, right away, Israel decides, you know what, we're going to have two different places to worship. We're going to make it as convenient as possible. Uh, We're going to make it as convenient as possible for you. And listen, I believe, you know, there's a a title called being a a seeker-friendly church, right? You ever hear that terminology? Well, hey, you know what? I want to be friendly to seekers, don't you? (laughs) I surely do. But what the, the, the terminology seeker-friendly kind of falls more into that northern kingdom mentality of just saying, you know what, uh, we're just going to try to make this as convenient for you as possible. What works for you uh, in, in a religion? I'm not against, I've told you about this before, how that there's still churches to this day when they come into a community, whether they are starting a new church or whether they are maybe... Uh, you know, changing their philosophy. A lot of times they'll do a poll in their community where they're ministering about what do you want in the church. I, don't, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. I really wouldn't. And I wouldn't mind, you know, somebody saying, well, boy, it'd be nice. Uh, churches aren't very friendly. I come in, I sit down. How many people hear that? I come in, sit down. Nobody ever talks to me. Nobody ever welcomes me, whatever. So it's like I can hear that and say, man, I, that's good to know. Therefore, it's good to know that maybe, maybe we should make sure that we're a welcoming environment for guests when they come in. Uh, that's a good thing. But the other things they'll say in these polls is, and I really hate coming into a church and hearing about sin. And it offends me when the preacher talks about hell. And they're just like, okay. Well, we don't want none of that. We want you to feel welcome. Uh, And we don't like it when the preacher preaches too long. And y'all could say amen right there. Uh, and, and whatever else, and, and there's some things, honestly, that I could take from a poll and that I could, that there'd be nothing compromising about saying, you know what, these are good things to know about. I, I really believe that. Um, and I want to do more of that. Michael, does, he knows a lot of that stuff. But, uh, but the, the thing is, is those that go by under the name of seeker-friendly, oftentimes, they really, that's the extent they go to, that no longer will they preach against sin. No longer will they, because they don't want to be offensive to anybody. And now, but you know, I'll tell you this right now. I would rather be, I would rather be called unloving for being loving than being called loving for being flat out evil, right? Because to me, it's evil not to warn somebody if they're on their way to hell. And it's evil to warn somebody and, and, and not to offer someone a way out of the bondage of the sin that they find themselves in. Uh, so, but that's kind of what the northern kingdom became. Now, the division, and, and maybe I want to say this before I get, because I got it right here before I get too far. Another thing this answers. So you're reading through the Bible, you read about Israel. Just remember, that's the northern ten kingdoms. They, they're the ones, by the way, 
When you read about the kings of the northern kingdom, can somebody name a king from the northern kingdom? I know that's asking a lot. I can't even tell you uh, anything else that I'm talking about hardly, but anybody tell me a king of the northern kingdom, maybe a queen that was uh, in the northern kingdom. There you go. I was fishing for Ahab and Jezebel. There's no, no, none of the other ones that stand out. Ahab and Jezebel may stand out. And when you read about all these wicked kings of Israel, remember, you're reading about the wicked kings of Israel, the, the, the ten tribes that right away begin to depart from God. There's still some people there. They're still, they're still trying to worship God there. Uh, they're doing it more in their own way, but they're still trying to worship God. Eventually, they start worshiping more. They, they turn to idols fairly quickly uh, in the northern kingdom. But in Judah, the southern kingdom, that's where you had the better kings. That's where you had the Josiahs. That's where you had the, uh, the Uzziahs, I, I believe, and some of the others that were actually some good kings. The division between the two tribes, okay, now this is where I'm fast-forwarding up to because I'm going to fast-forward about 160 years. God began to warn, as we'll see in just a moment. By the way, I better throw this out there. The kingdom of David was established around 1,000 B.C., circa. You know, I'm just throwing out there general time. So about 1,000 B.C. you have David as a king, a little bit before that. But about 1,000 B.C., you have David as the king. Um, and so this, there was a division for 160 years. But as the northern kingdom kept turning to idolatry, kept turning away from God, kept refusing the prophets, kept refusing the warnings, warnings God finally said, okay, I'm going to send an empire in to take you away. Does anybody know the name of... Uh, the, the, that initial empire that came and took Israel. Starts with the A. It's the first world uh, power that for some reason, I don't understand why we don't, it's interesting what we learn about in school. The Assyrians. It amazes me that we didn't learn more about the Assyrians in school. Um, but anyway, the, because the Assyrians were the first, they were really the first world power. They were really the first conquering force uh, and they were infamous, man. They were something else. But the Assyrians came, and I had, I had maps I should have shared, but the Assyrians came from the east and north, came in, and sure enough, just like God said, took them captive, okay? And, uh, and I'll say more about that in a second. Uh, and then that left only the, the kingdom of Judah, which in itself existed about another 160 years until the Babylonians came and conquered them and drove them to exile. So let's think a little bit about the, the northern kingdom, the Assyrian captivity. The Assyrian captivity or the Assyrian exile is the period in Jewish history during which a number of Israelites of the northern kingdom of Israel were captives in Assyria. The northern kingdom of Israel was the first of the two kingdoms to fall. When it was conquered by the by Assyrian monarch uh, Tiglath-Pilser uh, III, Manasser, and this captivity began about uh, 734 uh, B.C. And you'll read about Tiglath-Pilser; he's mentioned there in the Bible. The later Assyrian king Sargon and his successor, and here's another name that you may be familiar with, Sennacherib or Sennacherib, depending on how you say it. I always say Sennacherib. Uh, he's another king. He's the one who finished the demise of Israel's northern ten-tribe kingdom in 724 B.C. Nearly ten years after the initial deportations to the capital city of northern, to the northern kingdom, Israel, Samaria was taken by Sargon II. The tribes exiled by Assyria later became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. As unlike the kingdom of Judah, which was able to return from Babylonian captivity, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom never had a foreign edict granting permission to return to Israel and rebuild their homeland. So we'll talk about the southern kingdom in a minute, but just think about the utter desolation. The, if there's a practical lesson I want to throw in here, because the title of the message is From, Con from Conquerors to Captives. 
What made these people that were, that were chosen by God to be conquerors, chosen by God to be great in the earth, chosen by God to, I mean, God said that one of you will put a thousand to flight, right? I mean, that's what God wanted to do with them. But their hearts, they, they, they left the principles of Deuteronomy 6, where the Bible says to love the Lord with all your heart, that's something that, was, that was something that was to be said every morning in a faithful Jewish household. Uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And, and to teach your kids to love the Lord. And, and, and for them to teach their kids to love the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 being that example. Their hearts got away from God. They wanted a king. And then as th- times went on, not only did they want a king, they, the, the land that they were now inhabiting, remember, uh, we didn't mention, but that used to be Canaan, Canaan land. It used to be um, the land that belonged to all these other really evil nations. But now Israel's in. But guess what they started to do? They started to actually worship some of, the God, some of these terrible gods. And so the, the practical lessons are to guard your heart as a child of God. Because like Nehemiah that we're going to talk about earlier, there's really a whole, not a whole lot you can do about other people, but you can do something about yourself. And you can make an effort to make an impact on somebody else's life. There's not much you can do about where we are in our country today as far as the decisions that were made for us to get here, but there's something you can do today. There's something you can do in making a difference in somebody's life today because what's happened in our country, because the, the problem with our country, I talk about it a lot, don't I? I, I love studying the history of what, what's happened in our country. I love American history. Um, and, uh, you know, and history is so important, amen? Uh, you know, for one thing, you know, there's, there's the old saying, who's, who said that uh, those who don't uh, learn from history are bound to... Uh, Repeat it, right? And then there's also another one. I, was this, this seems like it was Stalin or one of these guys. But they said, he who controls history controls the future, right? If you can control history. Now, how do you control history? You can't really control it because history is what it is. And I wish people would understand that. Uh, history is what it is. What happened in history happened in history. Uh, but they try to change. What's going on in our country today? People are trying to change. Uh, literally, I don't believe there's a person sitting here that if you were publicly educated that the history books that you and I were learning out of were not already affected by revisionist history. That goes back to uh, really starting in the early 1900s. It really picked up speed in the 1930s. By the time you got to the 1940s and 50s, our school books were heavily inundated with a lot of uh, out-and-out socialist, communist-type propaganda and things that were taking God out uh, out of the picture. It's an amazing thing to study and see. But most of us were taught that, we weren't actually taught uh, American history the way people were being taught American history in years before. So, you're, so, so, so history. But I, I, I fuss about what the progressives are doing. I, I talked not long ago, you know, about uh, the outrage. And there should be outrage. There should be outrage over the things that are happening in our world. But I remember there being outrage over uh, a, a school in America that had started a, a satanic club, uh, a satanic after school club. There's a lot of outrage over that. How could they allow that to happen? And I think it's terrible. But here's the thing about it. Uh, They were filling a void there. I'm not justifying it. But we sit back and we fuss about what the world is doing. But if we had been doing something, what what if the churches in the area of, of that satanic uh, club and in the school and say, Satanism, by the way, is is one of the faster growing religions in our country. Uh, you may be interested to know, because basically Satanism says, "Hey, do what you want to do, man. Do it with power. Do it with all of this and uh, and uh, so forth." May I just throw this out here? What's on my mind? I guess I can, can I? Because I'm going to anyway. But one of the interesting things about the gods that the Israelites turned to, that Judah later turned to and many of the gods that we still have in our society today and the idols that we set up today, it's interesting how many of them had to do with permissiveness. So at the heart of most of these idols is immorality, sexual immorality. And that has not changed. That has not changed. But I'm going back to the point that I'm trying to get to, and that's this. Where's the church been? 
Where's God's people been? Uh, I mean, th that's the thing. And so with the nation of Israel, they allowed their hearts to turn back from God. And instead of going in and saying, man, no, these, the way you're living, these gods you're worshiping, there's a better way. There's a true and a living God we can tell you about. There's a true and living God we'd love to introduce you to. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the temple and watch how we do things at the tabernacle at the temple. Now, if they're an unconverted Gentile, obviously they're not going to be able to come in and, and, and to the full temple worship. But you can still be a proselyte. You can convert to Judaism. You can, you can, you can have faith in God like the Queen of Sheba uh, saw and was amazed by what God had done. Like Rahab saw and was amazed by what God was doing in the lives of his people. That's what the church is supposed to be. But instead, just the nation of Israel started worshiping the gods of the God, these evil dead gods and idols. And instead of introducing, and, and you know, do you not see the, the parallel there between much of the church even today and the way it's been for a number of years? But the problem all starts with the heart. Because, man, if we have a heart for God, we're going to have a heart for the things that God cares about. God cared about the nations. He established Israel to be a light to the nations. But they didn't care. They decided instead, man, maybe we'll just start worshiping the gods that you guys are worshiping. Long story short, the, the judgment that happened for the northern kingdom, the Assyrians came in, dispersed them. Another thing they did, they, they didn't take everyone out of Samaria and out of the northern kingdoms and one of the capitals there being Samaria. There were some Jews that were kind of left scattered abroad. And then the Assyrians made sure to send other Gentiles and other Assyrians into that land to kind of ke help keep it inhabited. And, but, but the ten tribes never returned the way Judah was able to return. That we're going to be reading about today with Ezra and Nehemiah. They were never able to return. But, uh, so they were lost. They were gone. Therefore, okay, so here. Now you've got the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom. Now, when you read about Samaria, we, we, we read about Samaria a good bit in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, some, see, I'm just trying to say these are things. I'm trying to give an overview that, that hopefully kind of makes the Bible smaller in a way. You get to the New Testament, and you have people referred to in Samaria as the Samaritans, right? Now, who are the Samaritans? Who are the Samaritans? The outcast of the Jews, what did you say, Kurt? Goes back that far. The Samaritans are, they, they were Jews at one time, not really. I, I say Jews, but that's, for the, for the purpose of this lesson, I shouldn't even be using the term Jews for the northern kingdom. Keep that in mind, okay? Israel. Israel. The Israelites and the Assyrians and other Gentile nations just begin to uh, mix and, and breed. Uh, and listen, understand, and I think most of you understand this, and some may argue this, but God's problem with, you know, one nation marrying another nation was not about skin color. I'll tell you that right now. I, yeah, I don't believe you can read that in the Bible. But it was, a, it was about the, uh, the adopting of the customs and gods and ways of the heathen nation. Um, and that, that's why when it came to you know, Moses marrying the Ethiopian, God wasn't upset with Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman because apparently she had converted. And, and so long story short there, it's, it's, it's important to know that's who the Samaritans were. They weren't accepted by the, by the Jews, and now I can use the terminology Jews, those mixed Israelites, Samaritans, and, and, but what, you know what they did? In years to come, they still would worship in Samaria. All right, and they were still trying to worship Jehovah, but it was a watered-down, mixed-up version. And so the Samaritans of the New Testament come from what happened with the northern kingdom. Ten tribes displaced, some, some of the Israelites still scattered abroad among the northern kingdom, and then the, the, the Assyrians send in um, Assyrians and other Gentiles to mingle with them. And so all of a sudden, these ten tribes are, in essence, lost. Now, the southern kingdom, and this is why I said, in, in, as far as the proper term, terminology, 
So after this happened, the southern kingdom held fairly steady. We, I talked about all the, the kings that were over all good kings, Hezekiah, um, you know, being a, a, another one of those. Um, the, the southern kingdom, these kings that, for the most part, were serving God. It's crazy when you find out some of the fact how they were missed. There's a lot of different messages throughout the history. But remember that the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, was uh, stayed, stayed faithful to God. So the Babylonian captivity or the ba Babylonian exile is the period in Jewish history during which a number of Jews of the kingdom of Judah were captives in Babylon. And it was for the same reason. They began to turn to God. And, and, you know, here's the amazing thing. God would continually say to Judah, Dude, y'all have seen. You saw for yourself what happened to Israel. You saw my judgment on Israel. And, you know, and, and, and lest I forget, the, you know, the point I was trying to mention earlier, just to drive it home a little bit more, is when, when in, in, in Peter, God tells us that judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Um, the, the, the Marxist agenda, and there, was an, there is and was a downright agenda that took place in this country, again, beginning in the early 1900s, uh, that's really not the problem in America. It is a problem, but if, God, if people and churches and Christians would have been standing faithfully against this stuff, that wouldn't have been the problem. The problem wasn't the enemy. The problem was the lack of resistance to the enemy. Not much we can do about that now, except we can't do anything about the past, but we can learn from it and try to do something about the future. But he's like, could you, could you, did you not see what happened to Israel? But the southern kingdom of Judah uh, eventually did go into exile as well. In the late 7th century B.C., the kingdom of Judah was a client of the state of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, hold on, let me get here. Uh, in the last decades of the century, Assyria was overthrown by Babylon. So Babylon became, Babylon was just an Assyrian province, but it became greater. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar, being the king of Babylon, plundered Jerusalem and its temple uh, and took King Jehoi Jehoiakim in his court and other prominent citizens, uh, including the prophet Ezekiel, back to Babylon. Jehoiakim's uncle, Zedekiah, was appointed king in his place. Despite God's warnings and call to repentance through his prophet Jeremiah, <laughs> can I just pause right there? Man, it's amazing when you read this stuff. So what, and, and does anybody remember the, the number of years that God said that they would be held captives in Babylon, Judah, the southern kingdom? Seventy years. Anybody remember the reason why that number matters? Seven, sa seven uh, Sabbath years. Or, uh, so in other words, a thing that we forget about, literally, the reason, one of the reasons God said it's going to be that amount of years is that every seven years, the Jews were to give the land a rest. Now, as a farmer, Ronnie, maybe you can appreciate how hard this was for them to have this kind of faith. Because what God said to them was, the sixth year, I'm going to give you double. Store it up, make preparations, because the seventh year, I don't want you to turn over one clod of dirt. Let the land rest. Give the land a, a year of rest. And then the next year, because, you know, a farmer said, well, no, God, you don't understand. If I don't do anything to the land, I, it's just, and God's like, no, just trust me. You come back out there the eighth year, and blah, but guess what? There wasn't any farmers that were, that were getting on that train. They're like, yeah, God, we uh, see what you're saying, but uh, no thanks. Literally, they just totally disregarded that. So God said, okay, have it your way. I'll get them all back in at once. So literally, he's like, y'all going to Babylon instead. Interesting. That, that's why 70 years. And that's why also God told, and awesome, man, God, that's why God told Isaiah before King Cyrus was ever born. That's why God told Isaiah that after the 70 years, I'm going to raise up, uh, I'm going to raise up a king. I'm going to raise up a king that's going to let you go back to your land. 
You know, and the same thing. And that's why Daniel was actually studying prophecy. He was reading the Bible when he's like, wait a second. God said this was just going to be 70 years. And then Cyrus was going to let us go back. And he started doing the math and he says, praise God. 70 years is almost up. It's time for us to go. And he goes and he talks to King Cyrus. And guess what King Cyrus says? Well, awesome. So he allows them, after 70 years, to return. But a couple things I better say here quickly as my time begins to run out. Man, I appreciate you keep, uh, being, being indulgent with me in all this. I really do. Um, this is why earlier I was uh, made the statement uh, that I, I, I kept trying to refer to the northern kingdom as Jews. But why do we call Jews Jews today? Because they come from Judah. How about that? Uh, Jews come from Judah. Uh, that's why we call them Jews. Because technically, the ten northern tribes, they weren't Jews. Because they weren't from Judah. They were from, you know, the other ten tribes. Uh, and so, that's why they're called Jews to this day. But God let them go, God allowed them to return, and the, the command went forth to allow them to go forth and begin to rebuild their temple. So it went from the Assyrian Empire to the Babylonian Empire. And what was the empire that followed that? It got, it got mingled to start with. Syria, the, the, the Syrians or the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Medes and the Persians, and then pretty soon you lose the Medes, and it's just Persia, right? It's the Persian Empire. Um, and that's where, that, that's where Esther was at, but that's what Cyrus was, and he was the one that said, yeah, and he allowed, who's the man that he allowed to go uh, rebuild the temple? That's actually kind of a trick question. The, the, there's a, the, the priest that he ordained to lead the thing was uh, is a book of the Bible. No? Ezra. Ezra. And then Jerubbabel was the governor of the going to be the governor. So he said Ezra was allowed to go back and start rebuilding the temple, okay, that had been destroyed. Ah, oh, there's so much stuff I want to talk about there. It's so interesting how that uh, does, does anybody remember King Hezekiah had some visitors from Babylon and decided he was going to show off? And he's like, oh, I'll tell you what, fellas. Y'all want to see how, I want to come show you all the temple. I want to come show you all our gold. I want to come show you everything I have. And those Babylonian ambassadors like, wow, yeah, this is nice. We're going to come back for this one day, and they did. Temple was tore down. They, they, they looted everything. Uh, but Ezra was allowed to come back and rebuild the temple. But the, and, and they were successful, but they kept running into opposition from the Gentile nations around them uh, that had moved into the territory and so forth. They had so much persecution, such a hard time, they finished the temple, and there was around, I think, 50,000 Jews that stayed in the area for temple worship. But to Ralph's point, one of the big problems was they kind of sat pretty sad looking because what was the city of Jerusalem lacking? Walls. They didn't have any walls. The wall, well, they had some, but they were all broken down into nothing. All right? And so then uh, 10, uh, I've always read 10. I read, uh, I read recently 20. But just a, a few, a, a decade or so later, is when Nehemiah received the call to go back and build the walls around, all right? And then from that point on, that's when you enter into much of the, the minor prophets. Uh, most, of, most of their prophecies are co connected with the time around Ezra uh, as well as Nehemiah. And that is the same temple. That's considered the second temple. And that's the temple Herod, of course, uh, decked out. But, uh, but ultimately was uh, destroyed later on. So then uh, Nehemiah went in, and interesting about Nehemiah, does anybody remember, and again, this is a, be a pretty tough question maybe, anybody remember roughly how long it took Nehemiah to build those walls back? Again, that's a pretty tough one, but it was 52 days. 52 days. I mean, uh, if I wouldn't get in trouble, I would say he was the Donald Trump of the ancient world. 
Uh, and, 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 and this, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, this is not I'm not necessarily speaking positive or negative, but one thing that he was known for when it came to his building is he would build and he would get it done. He would come in uh, on time or earlier than on, on before time and usually under budget on many of his building projects. But that's basically what Nehemiah was able to do. So, again, I appreciate your patience and indulgence. Uh, y'all pray for me. Y'all see how much I still need to learn. But just to kind of get a big, broad picture when you look at what was going on in the Old Testament, so from, from, so from 1 Samuel on through Malachi and really on into the New Testament, what I gave you is, a, I believe, a fairly important background in understanding the Bible, understanding what we're reading when we get into the Old Testament and so forth. Um, all right. Ugh. Any questions or comments? Anybody help me on something I said wrong? Ralph? All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 